Kia ora, I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. Today on The Detail... The hospitality industry says it stands to lose 15% of its total workforce because the government won't extend the essential skills visa again. Some chefs here are being offered twenty dollars or $30,000 to move across the Tasman. They've been offered a lot more money, yeah, and they're really targeting them. Yep, they can go over there and get a sign-on bonus and all straight away, or airfares paid. We have this acute, critical shortage of staff, and so I think our, st- our team's been giving us 150%. The only way that we could attract staff from a very meagre uh, pool of people who were looking for work is to pay them more. Cafe and restaurant owners are crying out for more support from the government as they struggle with a severe staffing shortage. Last week, they tried a new tactic to bring attention to what they call a crisis. Hospitality businesses facing a staffing crisis are joining a nationwide lights-out movement today in protest of the government's immigration policy. Around 2,000 businesses are expected to stop service and turn their lights off for a short time, calling for border exemptions and visa extensions for workers. Things are so bad they are... Reducing hours, taking items off the menu and even closing up shop for a bit. And this is what they're missing. Often it's been travellers or people on working holiday visas that have brought in the more experienced staff. But their critics say there is a simple solution. Pay the workers more money. I didn't pay enough and it didn't feel like I could actually survive. That's food writer Charlotte Muru-Lanning, who wrote a critical piece for Spin-Off last week. More from her own experiences in restaurants soon... But first, Restaurant Association Chief Executive Marisa Bidwar says the focus on low wages and bad conditions is just not fair. You know, we have several members who are paying a living wage. We have businesses who are treating their people like their own family. It's within our membership of the Restaurant Association. We just do not see that bad behaviour that a lot of people bring up. Let's go through some numbers here. How many people Mm -hmm. are employed in the industry? We employ around 130,000 within our sector. And how many are you short at the moment? We projected that we need around 20,000 people over the next um, four to five years. And that is with subdued growth, I might add. Um, If we look back at our recent growth um, stats uh, prior to COVID, we were sort of sitting at around the growth rate of five to six percent. If that growth rate kicks back in, then we'll need more. What areas are you talking about? You know, what kind of workers are you looking for? At the moment, it really is across the board in many cases, but where people seem to be feeling it the most is the sort of the higher level positions. So it's the head chefs, it's the restaurant managers. Um, But to be perfectly honest, um, we're also struggling for some of those entry level positions as well. What's your ideal scenario in terms of what you want you want the government to do? So basically, what we're asking the government for is a very, um, I guess, a small part of the solution. We'd like to see employer-assisted visas extended for at least six months. And what that would do um, for the sector is really just provide a little bit of relief while we are in this unusual situation with our borders being closed, um, it would really take a little bit of the pressure off our employers. It's certainly not the silver bullet and it's not going to fix everything because there's other things we need to do as a sector. But currently, right now, um, we are facing 
an unprecedented skill shortage among other sectors as well. So it's not just hospitality. And I might add that this is a global issue as well. You know, it's not just hospitality in New Zealand. It's also hospitality in Australia. It's hospitality in the UK as well. So I guess there's a whole bunch of new things that have come into the situation to create a bit of a perfect storm, not just with hospitality, but with other industries as well. What the industry wants is visa extensions for the 9,000 workers on employer-assisted work visas for another six to nine months, an extension to the hours students can work from 20 to 30 hours a week, and to clear some space in MIQ for critical hospitality workers. That looks unlikely given that New Zealanders are struggling to get here. Exactly. But, you know, it's on the list. We'd like, you know, we'd like to see that happen if possible. Um, And we know that it's probably right down the bottom of the list in terms of priority. But for our sector, it certainly would help with some of the issues we're facing right now. The other thing is to pause the planned increase to hourly wage thresholds. We've actually parked that one for now, actually. As a matter of fact, we made that decision a couple of weeks ago. So that was on the list, but we've decided, you know what, that is not as important as these other three. Oh, that's interesting. Why have you done that? Is that because there has been, you know, quite a bit of debate about what people are paid in the industry? We've certainly taken that into consideration, and some of our some of the feedback we've had from from our members has been that, look, we are focused on increasing um, wages in many parts of the sector, and we just don't want that to be an issue um, at the moment. There's really much more to this, the discussion for our skill shortage than wages right now. So, if you've got all of these things that you want. Would that solve all your problems? It certainly would not solve all the problems. It would contribute to helping us through the issues that we're currently facing right now. And it certainly would not make those issues go away. We would still, there would still be a pinch in many parts um, of the sector to find people to fill these roles within, within their businesses. So this is only, this would only go some way to help ease the burden What else do you need to do? Well, that is a great question. Some of these issues um, around our skill shortage uh, we have been facing for, you know, several years prior to this point in time. It's only just exacerbated um, because of the current environment. But we're working through a project that we're calling right now. It's the future of hospitality. And essentially, we've been consulting with many different parts of our sector and those that feed into the sector as well. Like we've we've sort of met with unions, we've met with other stakeholders as well. And the idea is to really work out a plan to make sure that hospitality is talked about um, in and at the p- top of people's minds as they're making their career decisions. And there is some work that we need to do as a sector. You know, we need to make sure that um, people understand what the career pathways are available to them in hospitality. We need to make sure that we are talking about the benefits of working in our sector as well. And those are the sorts of conversations that, you know, we don't have enough. Wages seem to be the thing that is thrown back at hospitality often when these sorts of discussions come up. And we want to focus on a bigger picture. The trouble is, it's the wages and conditions that give hospitality a poor name.
I loved the job, but it always felt like things were actually getting scraped back. Food is Charlotte Muru Lanning's passion. She's worked in hospitality for nearly half her life, but says she'll never work for a restaurant again. So we would lose our like minutes on our meal breaks, or we would have less options for meals, and there's sort of like was an increase in the responsibilities that we had um, as staff, but everything seemed to be getting paired back to kind of. I suppose cut down on costs for the business, but it always felt a bit kind of sad. These days, I don't work in hospitality anymore, but I um, I'm spend a lot of my time writing about food um, as a journalist. Why don't you work in restaurants anymore? I didn't really see a future in it. I The only future I saw in food was to potentially open my own place one day. Um, and, yeah, it, it didn't... It didn't pay enough and it didn't feel like I could actually survive. So how many years did you actually work in the industry? I started working in the industry very casually when I was about 12. What, washing dishes or something? Oh yeah, working at the till and it was a little cafe. Yeah, that was my first job and it wasn't very nice. And what other kind of jobs have you had in the industry? I've always worked front of house. That's my favourite place to be. So that you're sort of like the meet and greet person. You were meet there when people greet. came in the door. Yeah, meet and greet at the till and cafes and, you know, waitressing and all that kind of thing. And you obviously loved it. Mm. Yeah, I loved the people that I worked with. You come across really amazing people in hospitality. I mean, there's always this thing that New Zealanders say, like, everyone should work in hospitality, and I think that you do learn really amazing life skills and hospitality. I also really like the control of space, like you kind of have this area and you just keep it going and there's something really nice about that whole process and chipping away at a job and things like that, so yeah, those things. So what's wrong with it? There's just not enough money (laughs) given, um, handed over to staff. I think that there's issues of sexual harassment in the industry, there's bullying. Can I just pick you up on a, a couple yeah, yeah. of things there? Sexual harassment, yeah. what, what do you mean by that? And have you um, experienced it? Yeah, I think for me it's come in three different forms. So customers. When I was younger, I must have been like 20, I had a stalker and my boss refused to deal with it and I had to keep being polite because he was a customer but he was also a stalker. But it got bad and I ended up having to deal with it with the police for myself. Um, It's come from bosses to me and to other staff. There's a culture of it in the industry, which I think that is hopefully changing. But for me, that was an issue and it was coming from those three different sources. And bullying? What kind of bullying? This is not every boss, obviously. There's really good employers, but I've being yelled at by bosses for being a minute late and things like this just kind of like these ridiculous things that I don't think that you should have to deal with especially when you're young and you are not you're earning minimum wage I just why do you think that is I mean why is an industry supposedly getting away with bullying sexual harassment and poor pay it was something I came across when I was in my previous job was that people were coming straight out of high school and had no idea what their rights were and that just means that they can kind of get 
um, trampled all over. So in the last week or so there's been quite a few stories around the people inside the industry say mm. it's in peril. The crisis is being felt across the sector. Options are we could, we could close the kitchen for a day, um, a week, we could make our menu much much smaller and that one chef could do it for those for a few, certain few days. We don't know how to just try and find someone, you know, just pay lots more money, an unsustainable amount of money. What do you make of the industry, people in the industry saying it's in peril? I think that it's been in peril for a long time. I don't doubt that there's a worker shortage. The blame for that lies on the industry as a whole and for the people who are kind of decision makers and who speak out in that industry. I don't think that they've done enough to um, encourage people into the industry. You know, like if I always think if there were not enough jobs and there were all these hospitality workers looking for work, they would have to upskill to try and look good enough for an employer to employ them. But when it comes the other way around, we it doesn't, you know, they're mm. just expected, they can just sort of bring in new people and there's not that same expectation to draw us in. Mm. Um, and so I think that they need to be doing better to encourage people to want to work in the industry. They haven't done that. It's No one work, wants to work in hospitality. Um, it's kind of it's looked down upon and people know how hard it is and that there's not much reward for it. Um, what do you think of the campaign? This is the switching off the lights and cafes and restaurants for a couple of minutes. So for me personally, I don't love it. I think that it doesn't come across that well and I don't think that it's sort of landed as well as maybe the people behind it have might have hoped for. I think people last year kind of came together and were really supportive of the industry and that was really exciting um, after they had to shut and then only do takeaways for a certain amount of time. I mm. think that people kind of were really backing local restaurants and things. Since then, this campaign has kind of fallen a little bit in the wrong place, I guess. People have realised that we actually need to look after people who work in these industries and we need to make sure that they're being they have enough sick leave and that they have they're being paid properly because we've seen what's happened overseas and when you're not looking after workers it's just not good for them or any anyone else um and so I think that people are maybe not as receptive to this kind of protest mm. I suppose from business owners every industry has employers who are not towing the line but in hospitality, it certainly seems to be the topic that comes up the most. And, you know, it's certainly just not true across across the board. And it's something that we want to address um, at the association. It's something that our members are passionate about addressing as well, because it really doesn't serve those businesses who are doing all the right things well when, you know, there is this misconception out there that hospitality, all hospitality business owners are bad employers. It's, it's just not true. But then... Why do you need so many migrant workers? There's still, you know, New Zealand has tens of thousands of people who are unemployed. So surely if mm. you made it attractive enough, you would be able to give those jobs to New Zealanders. Well, I have a couple of things to say on that 
point, actually. We um, are working with MSD and have created um, a program called Hospice Start, where we are working with unemployed New Zealanders um, and placing them into employment within hospitality. And this is a program that we started running in Auckland, um, and we now have the opportunity to take that around to the other regions. And it's a program that I'm really proud about because we're we're on the front line and we are working with unemployed New Zealanders and we are giving them key skills and setting them up in a career in hospitality. And we've had great success with this program. Um, so we are there, we are working with unemployed New Zealanders um, and all the business owners that I speak to, they would love to employ Kiwis. Um, and they are, that's sort of, you know, what they're trying to do, but when you have a job advertised for three months and you're not having anyone, um, applying for that role, well, you start to look at other options. If you're saying that most of your members do pay the living wage and do treat their staff well, how do you get the message out there? How do you change the perception of the industry? And that's really what some of the work that we're doing within this project called the Future of Hospitality. It really looks to address that. It looks to look at how we can change the narrative around our industry and how we can start to talk about, you know, the positive things that are happening every day within our sector, <clears throat> highlighting some of the, the great things that our industry has to offer that others don't. For example, we do have flexibility within the workplace. That is one thing that we, go, we have going for us very well in hospitality. We work with students. There's part-time work available. You can work in the evening if you're a night owl or if you're an early bird, there's morning shifts. You know, there's a lot of variety in the way that we work in hospitality. How responsive is the government to, you know, what you're saying is that, that the sector is in peril? So, and you've put out these calls for various things that you feel you need. We have had some conversations um, with officials, but what we're really looking for is, you know, the government to step up and support our industry. The hospitality industry doesn't have its own minister. We don't have a dedicated unit at MB like a lot of other sectors have. And those are some of the things that I'd really like to see change. What happens, Marissa, when you go, I mean, presumably you're at the lobbying end, so when you go to the ministry, have you got someone that you can talk to there? I mean, how, how is this all working? We don't have sort of one specific contact. Um, the Minister of Tourism, Hospitality fin, fit, falls under tourism. Tourism has been, um, you know, the shining light, I suppose, for, for so many years. Um, and hospitality really, I think, doesn't get the attention that it needs. You feel like you're not a priority? Certainly not. Um, certainly not. And I think um, the COVID response really kind of brought that to light for us as an industry. Why do you think that That's is? That's a really good question. And it's something that <laughs> I have thought um Many, many nights, I can tell you, I have sat there and thought, what is it about hospitality? We contribute 12 billion to the economy. We employ 130,000 people. But what is it about hospitality that um, that people do think, well, we're disposable, it's, it's dispensable? I don't have an answer to that. And it's something that we, um, we're exploring with this work that we're doing as part of our roadmap. In a way, 
it's understandable that maybe the government's priority is in other areas such as trades training because we desperately need more houses, whereas going to a restaurant is more of a luxury. It's not a necessity, if you know what I mean. Do you think that's a reason why you're sort of lower down on the list of priorities? Well, I look at some other parts, I suppose, other sectors, for example, um, and we have seen sort of tourism taking up a lot of um, space and ha- has had a lot of focus on it um, in the past. We see other sort of entertainment industries as well, um, you know, that do get a lot of attention and, and you know, regarding policy and, and whatnot. So um, eating out is a luxury, absolutely. Um, but it certainly has become, you know, more so, more today than any other time in history restaurants and cafes have become more a part of our social fabric than ever before um so perhaps that has a reason to do with it that it is classified as a luxury um but it's about connecting communities as well yeah I, i think there's more to that story as well okay and is there any chance that restaurant owners are going to put up wages so that they can have more surety when it comes to hiring people and keeping them? What is being discussed very much in our industry right now is, you know, our members and and the industry would love to pay people more. But obviously, you know, you don't have to be an economist to work out that if people are being paid more within a sector, that means the end product will be increasing. And I think that's some of the things that our businesses are struggling with at the moment. It's like, well, we want to pay more. We are paying more in many cases. We're paying a living wage. That means that our end product um, in many cases will will be increasing. And will customers still come and purchase our products? What are people willing to pay for their lattes? You know, are you going to be fine paying ten dollars for your your morning coffee? Or no way. Are you going to stop going to that cafe? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that is what we are examining in many cases at the moment. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett Kelly. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can download us free to your mobile phone every day on any podcast platform. And if you want to get in touch, email us at thedetail at rnz.co.nz. Alexia Russell produced today's episode. Alex Aylett McMillan engineered it. And thanks to Marissa Bibois and Charlotte Muru Lanning. Kakite. <laughs>